Today's sponsor is Sean Clausen Coop, co-author of Building a Better World in Your Backyard, instead of being angry at the bad guys. I recently interviewed Sean about the book and think, if you already practice permaculture, it's a great source of inspiration to turn your energy into steps you can take each day towards achieving your goals, whether you live in the city, suburbs, or countryside. Inside, you'll find ways to grow more food, reduce your energy needs, and live a more comfortable, bountiful life. Building a better world in your backyard is also a good introduction for others to the ideas of permaculture. It's on my short list of books I'd recommend to anyone wanting to introduce their friends and family to what this permaculture thing is all about. Learn more about the book and pick up a copy today at buildingabetterworldbook.com. If you'd like to share your book, class, or project with the world on the Permaculture Podcast, find out how you can join the family of sponsors at thepermaculturepodcast.com slash advertise. This is the Permaculture Podcast. I'm Scott Mann. Seafood represents the largest traded food commodity market in the world. Three billion people depend on fish and other farmed or wild-caught seafood as a source of protein, according to figures from the World Wildlife Fund. Regretfully, the majority of fish stocks are not sustainable, as they are overfished or fully exploited. Seeking sustainable and regenerative approaches to fishing and fishery management help to secure the future of food for large portions of the world. As permaculture practitioners, is there something we can do in our designs and processes on small spaces to decrease our reliance on commercial food sources while using the byproducts of raising fish to grow other crops? To help us explore this question, Jonathan Martinetto joins me today to share his work helping people create viable home and backyard aquatic ecosystems. These systems, whether a countertop tank or outdoor pond, allow us to grow fish and food while caring for our environment and community using aquaponics. In this introductory conversation, Jonathan shares some of the basics to consider when putting together a system, including minimum size, some of the species appropriate for his environment in Melbourne, Australia, and resources to learn the basics before setting up your own system. Enjoy this conversation with Jonathan, and I'll join you again after. Then, Jonathan, can you give us a bit of your biography and background, and we can take the conversation from there. I am French. I grew up in, um, in the eastern side of France, pretty much in the mountain, very close to Switzerland. And uh, as a kid, I have always been very, very attracted by aquatic environments, like fish. You know, I used to go fishing with my, with my dad, and I used to spend all my childhood on the border of a river trying to yeah, catch fish, but not only, you know, to, to see what kind of life was in the river. The river and the lakes, they have this thing where you kind of guess what is inside the water. You know, there is a part that you can see depending on the visibility, and there is what you can't see. So you have to imagine what's happening there. And uh, as a kid, um, I was always trying to see a bit more and uh, always looking for insects, you know, frogs, <laughs> any kind of animal that could live there. And uh, I really enjoyed not only seeing the animals, but also the interactions they had between each other and uh, also with, uh, with the flow, you know, the, the type of plants that were growing also in the water. And for me, it has been a mystery as a kid. Uh, how could the fish breathe into the water? You know, like they, they swim in the water. When you see them living into the water, they seem to be 
floating, like uh, they seem to be flying. So there is all this aspect that is, uh, as a kid, I was really amazed by this environment. So I learned to swim very young and uh, I spent a lot, a lot of time swimming into the river. The winter is very cold, so not always into the water, sometimes looking from the top. But yeah, I was a very peculiar kid from uh, this perspective, always attracted by any type of water environment that could be around my home. So growing up, I started my studies in landscaping because uh, for me, it was the easiest way to recreate ponds. You know, uh, I became a, a pond uh, specialized uh, landscaper. So I did uh, two years of studies in this field and I started to work doing some ponds with uh, my, uh, my boss. I really enjoyed it for a while. Then I, I thought there was something missing, you know, uh, creating aquatic environments because there we were really focusing on doing something that was looking good. So trying to, to create a nice piece of landscape into our customers' backyard. But I wanted to know more about the biology of the fish, of the whole ecosystem. And uh, there was something really missing into the landscaping studies. You know, I learned a lot about the plants because when you are a landscaper, it's very important to know how plants are growing, trees, how they live together, uh, what type of space is required. But, you know, you don't learn much about the animals and uh, definitely not much about fish. So I started a new study in aquaculture. So I learned, for, I learned aquaculture for two years at school. So this time I had to go to move on, on the western side of France, so that's the, on the ocean side. And there uh, I really learned amazing things about fish biology, uh, about the sea, you know, the ocean. It was very new for me because all my knowledge was based on what I could see by myself, which was mainly rivers and lakes. So when I arrived uh, on the ocean side of France and uh, I studied there, I was so happy and I learned so much in, in only two years' time. And uh, sorry, I, I'm talking a lot now about my background, but uh, we're going to go, uh, I'm going to talk about aquaponics very soon, right? But I feel that, that I need to explain you a, a bit uh, how I came to aquaponics. So during those two years, I learned about fish and I was very interested, but I didn't learn much about the interactions between the fish and the environment. At school, yes. When I, uh, you know, during those two years, I, I spent some time at school and I spent some time at work. So I had uh, one um, fish farm where I could go and, uh, and work there, but in the same time I was learning. So at school, I, I could learn how the fish were evolving into the environment. Of course, we study their needs, the different diseases that can uh, grow on the fish, parasites, virus, bacteria, all those type of things that are very interesting. I think something was missing about the interaction with really uh, the environment in general. What is the impact on the environment and uh, what is the impact of other species on the fish? So that's something I started to experiment at home with some aquariums. Well, since, uh, since a kid, I always had aquarium. At one point, I had seven aquariums in my room. <laughs> so it was a bit busy, you know, you can imagine. Then when I arrived at work, I found that 
you know, I was confronted to the reality, which was very different to what I could uh, picture in my in my dream. In my dream, I would grow fish in a very nice environment, uh, in harmony with uh, with the ecosystem, and I would grow them in the best conditions. But when you work in a farm, because uh, if if it's aquaculture, it's a fish farm, so it's a farm. You know that. Generally speaking, the profits are quite small for the producers and uh, they are pushed by uh, the system to produce at very high density, which means that the fish, very often, they are not grown in the best conditions. They are grown, basically you try to grow as, as many fish as you can in a limited environment with limited resources. So when I learned aquaculture, the first type of farms I was uh, able to work on uh, were trout farms. And uh, trout is a very domesticated fish. You know, it's been grown by humans for generations and generations. So it's a fish that accepts pretty well to be grown in high density. And when I arrived at the fish farm, we were growing the trout in uh, what we call restways. They are long rectangular ponds and they are made in concrete. And the trout are grown inside. Uh, so you have the water that is coming from one side of the pond and obviously uh, the, the outlet of water is, uh, is going outside from, uh, from the other side of the pond. So that's a long rectangular pond. And the first day I arrived at the farm, uh, my manager asked me to, to take a bucket, two buckets actually, and to fill them uh, with uh, a chemical called uh, formaldehyde. Uh, it's, a, it's a very, very um, nasty chemical. When when I opened the, the tap of the of the container where was this chemical, I could straight away feel my nose was attacked by this strong chemical. Very, very um, how to say you know not pleasant not pleasant at all and uh he asked me to put this into the tank into the the pond uh, because the trout had some parasites and they always have and actually even uh, as a preventive measure every week we had to drop some buckets of this uh, chemical into the water to avoid the trout to develop too many parasites so i did that and you drop the buckets of chemicals at the at the beginning of the pond where the water is, is entering the pond and the chemical is spreading in the pond as a, as a wave. As it happens, I could see all the fish swimming at the back of the pond and I could really understand that they were not enjoying this process at all. They were like running away from this wave of chemicals and as the wave of chemicals passed through the pond and the fish swim at the front and uh, they try to escape so there i felt terrible you know i could see myself you know as i as i developed my skills in aquaculture at school i i dreamed to work in a, an environment where the fish would feel very comfortable where i would take care of the fish with the environment but there at my first day i was spreading chemicals into the water trying to kill any form of life into the pond, seeing the fish in, in deep pain, you know, like trying to avoid this chemical at all costs. And uh, at the end, the chemical, after, the, after this wave through the pond, the water is going back into the river. 
So obviously having a very negative impact on the, on the ecosystem. And that's just one example. I used a lot of other types of, of chemicals, permanganate, lot, a lot of different things we used, antibiotics as well in prevention, vaccination sometimes. So, you know, the reality for me after studying, the reality was a bit uh, disappointed and uh, disappointing. And, and I, I thought maybe it's not really what I should do for, for living. So I continued my studies, and uh, then I, uh, after those two years, I did one more year to have my degree in aquaculture. And there, I had the opportunity to work on a project, I mean, to study a project that was going on. So it was in 2000, uh, I guess it was 2007. And uh, back in those days in Europe, the farms, you know, they started to have a bad reputation, and uh, the government started to started to try to improve the water quality into the ecosystem. So they realized that a lot of farms were, were releasing some pollution into the river. And here by pollution, the government was really focusing on uh, the quantity of phosphorus and uh, nitrogen, so nitrates, that was released into the river. So they started to put a, a tax on pollution in Europe. And uh, that's where this program uh, was launched. It was a program called AquaTreat. And the idea was to try to treat the water at the end of the farm. So basically, the water that was released into the environment would be purified. And therefore, uh, the farmer would have less tax to pay because now there was this tax on pollution. So the idea was to develop a, a program to try to purify the water and reduce the, the tax for the farmer. So I started to be very interested by this program because in order to treat the water, the main filtration would be to use some uh, plants to purify the water. So there they use some reeds, which is a kind of bamboo, at the back of the trout farm. And all the water that was going out of the trout farm was going through those uh, grow beds where reeds were growing, and as uh, the reeds were growing, they were using those phosphorus and uh, those uh, nitrates to grow. Hence, the water going outside of the farm was now pretty much clean. You know, the, the pollution concentration was dropping significantly thanks to those uh, veg vegetables, not vegetables, sorry, to those plants. And that's where I started to realize, and uh, not only myself, obviously, a lot of people started to realize, well, instead of growing reeds where we didn't know what to do with, why don't we grow plants that we could do something with, you know, uh, have a, a value added, you know, like a plant that we could either consume as a food or plants that we could uh, sell uh, as ornamental plants or nice ornamental uh, trees. It totally made sense. And I started to look around the world if there were some things like this. And there was this, te this uh, technique called uh, aquaponics already used in Canada on uh, some farms with uh, lettuce and strawberries. And for me, that was really when I realized that uh, there was another way of growing fish than intensive farming. There was a solution to produce fish in an ecosystem with all the spaces to integrate different spaces in an, in an ecosystem and to use the waste of one crop to grow the other crop. 
So as you can imagine there, I was then animated with a uh, with lot of passion and, and started to really experiment at home <laughs> with different ponds, different uh, tanks. And that was for me the beginning of aquaponics. It's quite a journey from those days when you were growing up on the waterways of eastern France and then to finally move from there in a freshwater environment to a saltwater one and be learning about the fish that were there, but not necessarily their complete life cycle or ecological role in that environment to take this further and through these environmental regulations and what you were experiencing in the trout raceways to bring all that together then to be practicing aquaculture, as you say, initially on a home scale in your tanks and backyard ponds. That definitely, yes. It's been a long, long, long journey. But you, you have to realize that those, in those times, you know, aquaponics was not a thing. It existed, but uh, nobody knew about it. And uh, for me, it, it took me years and years and years to, to, to learn about it, you know, to discover this technique. Uh, and nowadays we are very lucky because it's kind of uh, general knowledge, you know, what aquaponics is and everything. But for me, yeah, I had to learn it the hard way, you know, and uh, to, uh, to go through different, different types of farming that were not in line with my values. <laughs> but finally, yeah, finally I had the chance to, to come uh, in contact with aquaponics and, uh, and I could really see it as a solution. I mean, a solution for for doing things in line with my values, at least. <laughs> so yeah, it's a, it's, it's a very good point. It's been, it's been a long, long journey. And I first discovered aquaponics as an idea. It was probably around 2008 or 2009. I was reading some articles about people in the American Southeast growing catfish in 55-gallon water barrels that they would get like those uh, food grade water barrels, cut the tops off, fill them full of rainwater and grow catfish in them in some pretty high density, it seemed. But then when it became more really about not just growing fish on the home scale, but actually integrating it into aquaponics, where it was kind of like hydroponics with fish waste, that most of what I was reading at the time, and this was probably 2011 or 2012, was about using tilapia. In particular, I was reading about like greenhouse environments where they would put the fries into these long tanks where they could swim around. And then as they developed to size, they would be harvested then for like local restaurants while there were a bunch of microgreens and other plants growing over top that were providing like a quick turnaround. But at that time, it was just looking like a small scale commercial enterprise that would be feasible for a city or someone with an acre or so of land in a community of some size. But those were my experiences as I first encountered this. And since then, I've seen, you know, home scale systems that are a 10-gallon tank with goldfish and all of these other things. And so I was wondering if you could walk us through what you were working with then when you were first getting into aquaponics with your backyard systems. And then, you know, what are you doing now that is different from where you were 10 or 12 years ago? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So the point you are, you are making is uh, 100% valid. You know, when we talk about aquaponics, we are very, very often talking about small-scale farming. And uh, when I started, I was the first system that I had when I was studying and then uh, when, I, when I was working, I, I lived in very small 
apartments, you know. So I had some small aquariums at home and uh, I was experimenting on the aquariums. And then every time I was uh, back at my parents' place, I built a pond there and I was practicing on the pond <laughs> at, uh, at my parents' place. But yeah, most of the systems I had were aquariums where um, I was just trying to basically manage the ecosystem. Going from an aquarium where basically you have to renew the water because in an aquarium, what we do, we stock fish and we try to have um, a cycle, a biological filtration, basically, where we have different types of bacteria. And uh, that's exactly the same type of bacteria we have in permaculture when, where we add some organic matters in the soil. You know, those organic matters are going to be transformed thanks to insects first. Insects are breaking down uh, the material. When I say insects, obviously we have bacteria and fungus. Fungus are playing a big role. But uh, in aquaponics, we, we know much about bacteria where basically the, uh, the, the organic matter is broken down into ammonia. And then we have uh, different types of bacteria that transform the ammonia in nitrate. And then other types of bacteria that are transforming the nitrate in nitrate. And that's a nitrate that is really uh, a good source of food for the plants. So in aquarium, we have this perfect, but we don't have the plant. So that's a shame because we do all the work to produce basically the plant fertilizer, the plant nutrients, but then we throw the water away. That's why in an aquarium, you need to renew the water every three weeks. In aquaponics, we just put some plants into the aquarium and we try to uh, have enough plants to consume this nitrate, the quantity of nitrate. And then if you have enough plants, then every time you generate nitrate, when you feed your fish, basically, all this fish poo is, uh, is uh, transformed in nitrate and the plants are able to, to consume it. So we try to balance uh, the concentration this way in aquaponics and uh, that's how we are able to close the loop and to not have to renew water or at least not much. And that's what I was simply experimenting in uh, my aquariums uh, at home in, in my apartments when I was studying. It's easy to understand how aquaponics works, but to put it in practice, it can be challenging when uh, you don't have a good balance. You know, you need to have an ecosystem that is well balanced and that's the trick. So that's how I started. So to go back to your point, yes, I was really working on very small scale setups at home and uh, i would say that the smaller the, the system is and the most difficult it becomes to balance because you don't have a buffer effect you know your water can't you can't allow your water to load too much because the concentration of nutrient of nitrate into the water can can be too high for the fish the, the big uh, thing to understand is that uh, the nutrient for the plants the nitrate they are also toxic for the fish. So you want to have some into the water, but we want to, to have a good, uh, a good level that is not too low for the plants. We, we want to have enough for the plants, but not too high for the fish. And every species of fish has different limits. So you can't imagine that when you start this, uh, you, can experiment. <laughs> you can experiment with different types of plants, different types of fish, and there is a lot of experimentation to be to be made if you want to work on very small scale systems. When you work on big scale uh, with multi-specific systems, like a lot of uh, different species of plants, 
then it becomes way easier to manage. Uh, you don't have to be so specific on the exact concentrations that you want to allow into your water. You have buffer effect into the, into the mass of water. And the different species of plants are accepting different levels of nitrogen and different quality of nutrients as well. So it really helps. But then to go back to big scale, you were talking about big scale aquaponics. I mean, you were questioning it, if I understood well. At the moment, I don't think there are some real uh, big scale projects that are running well. I know that there are some, but uh, are they really... I mean, it depends what is the definition of aquaponics. Uh, and some people think it's just a combination of uh, growing fish, so basically aquaculture and hydroponics combined together. And that makes the word aquaponics. But for me, it's more than those two techniques because in aquaculture, uh, as I was describing before, we don't work with the environment. The environment is just a support. It's exactly the same thing as uh, when you look at a, a cornfield. Cornfield is a monoculture where basically the soil is just used as a support. And the farmer in intensive farming, which is more than 90% of the crop that is grown around the world, unfortunately, the soil is a, is a support and the farmer is spreading a lot of chemicals, often pesticides. So it can be insecticides, fungicides to kill any form of life that can grow on the soil. And the farmer just use the soil as a support and spread some fertilizer as well and some water. And the plant is just growing on this support. And for me, if you understand this, you understand that we are doing things wrong. Obviously, Scott, in your podcast, you highlight this point very often. Monoculture for us, when we, when we understand what permaculture is and how permaculture works, we can't understand that the world, the whole, the whole food business is relying on monoculture it doesn't make any sense we have to do all the work while nature is is here to do the work for us we just need to work with nature so for me aquaponics is really working with natural interactions between between the spaces in one ecosystem it's not it's not a, just a combination of aquaculture and hydroponics hydroponics is growing food without other source of life neither you know we just we just use a media it can be uh, a what, it can be uh, rocks. And then on this media, we just sparkle some water with nutrients. We don't use bacteria. We don't use, we don't use the life cycle, the nitrogen cycle. You know, there is no life that is involved. And that's a big difference with uh, aquaponics. In aquaponics, we have life and we have bacteria that are doing the magic between the two systems. So when we go for big scale, unfortunately, most of the big scale system, they are growing only one, one type of crop because they try to specialize into what they can sell. You know, one, one farm is, is going to try to grow lettuce. If you look at hydroponics, any picture you can see of hydroponics on Google, if you Google it, you will see only one species. You will see lettuce everywhere. You will see tomatoes everywhere. There is no big scale hydroponics uh, that is working with multi-specific spaces. And the, the key of aquaponics is to work with this biodiversity. So now, if you are working in aquaponics and you try to work in a big scale and you would grow what you can sell, then you may have a few spaces only or maybe only one spaces. And very often when you are into this type of environment, if you have the pests, one pest that arrives, for example, 
if you are growing lettuce, for instance. If you are growing lettuce, even if it's a, in a greenhouse, if you have um, aphids that are coming, well, they can grow very fast and they can spread very fast. And uh, we know that there are some biological way to try to regulate uh, the population, but it's easier to work with those systems when they are in uh, polyculture. But when you are in monoculture, it becomes very difficult. And in aquaponics, we don't want to use chemicals because any chemical you may spray on one part of the system, on even on one species that is involved into the ecosystem, may have an impact on the other species. And obviously, in between, we have the bacteria. The bacteria are extremely sensitive to any chemicals that you could add into the system. And unfortunately, if we if we lose the bacteria in aquaponics, we basically lose the ecosystem. So then we have big troubles because the toxicity of ammonia into the water is going to increase. So again, I don't want to be too technical in uh, in this podcast because I guess some people are just discovering what aquaponics is. But what I'm trying to highlight here is that when you go for big scale, it becomes tricky to manage aquaponics. For me, the uh, the idea of aquaponics is to produce at uh, low density and uh, low scale. And if you look at the at the system that we have around the world, the, the farms, for example, you know, as I'm French, I can talk about France. Before the Second World War, uh, we had a lot of farmers, and uh, they they were they had very small fields, and they were all around France. We had many, many, many of them. Uh, but then, after the wars, you know, as you are aware, all the the explosives, all the you know, the nitrates that were used as explosives, they, they have been used as uh, fertilizers. So basically, all those farmers, they were not needed anymore because we could work on one big farm. We basically, there was one thing called uh, the remembrement in French, where basically all the farmers had to put their field together and uh, they were all linked to create some big pieces of land. And that's where they started to be able to work with uh, with tractors and machines and uh, fertilizer and create some big monoculture. And that's where uh, we lost uh, all the a lot of biodiversity in France, and we lost a lot of quality as well going for monoculture. So, what I was trying to say basically is that before we were working with nature, and then we used fertilizer, and then we didn't. We stopped working with nature. We stopped, We started working with fertilizer and pesticides. And that's a shift that we made in our food system in France, but in, in the world in general. And that's something that is not really practical to aquaponics because aquaponics, by definition, is working with bacteria and working with life. So I think working at small scale is easier for pest management, you know, for disease management that we could have on the fish and on the plants. So in hearing you talk about this, again, as you say, this conversation is an introduction to aquaponics. So it's yes. not about getting into like trying to control pH or necessarily how to create this ecosystem, but just to begin to move the conversation away from aquaponics as fish in a tank with plants over top and to start thinking about, you know, in that kind of 
monocrop idea and to start thinking about this more as the way that we might develop an ecosystem around our aquaponics so that we're creating a rich, vibrant, living environment from which we can meet some of our human needs. And so I was wondering if you could share with us what this looks like in your practices when you're putting together a fish tank or a backyard pond. As I mentioned earlier, some of the examples that I've encountered are like tilapia and microgreens as kind of like this aquaculture guild that people were using. But what does it look like for you and like what kind of aquatic animals are you growing in this environment and what kind of plants are you aiming to integrate into your system? Actually, you asked me this question before and I didn't really <laughs> respond to it. Sorry. So I'm, I'm trying now to, to nail this one. So um, when I arrived in Australia, I, I launched this company called Melbourne Aquaponics and I thought my aim would be to build an aquaponic system uh, for people, you know, and, and to offer the aquaponic system. So it was a kit. And I made this in wood, in a cypress wood, which is a very hard wood that uh, doesn't uh, rot uh, in time, you know, so it can last for decades. And, um, and so basically it was two boxes, one box on the bottom, which was uh, waterproof, obviously, a fish tank on the bottom. And on top of this was a cover bed. And uh, that was that what uh, I was offering for years to my customers. So this type of ecosystem was very convenient because, uh, as I said, two boxes of food. So you could take it and put it wherever you want. You can put it on a terrace. And I had different, different sizes. I still offer those systems, actually, but uh, I'm now offering another option as well. But those, those ones, I call them the Ecoflex. And uh, for those who are listening, if uh, you want to see how it looks like, you can go on the website uh, Melbourne Aquaponics and you will see them. They are uh, wood boxes, very nice designed, where the fish tank is on the bottom. And you have a lid where you can uh, put the lid down and sit on it. So it's a bench in the same time. And at the back, you have the grow bed. So on top of the fish tank is a grow bed where you can grow uh, different species of, uh, of plants. So depending on the size of the Ecoflex uh, that my customer are, are selecting, they can either grow just herbs, you know, for the kitchen. So parsley, basil, you know, all those type of herbs that are needed in the, in the kitchen. So for, if you take the small scale aquaponic system, and the smallest one uh, is only one square meter. But then if you take the big one, uh, which is uh, 1.8 meters by uh, 1.2, there you can start to grow a lot of leafy plants, even tomatoes, so fruits, and then you can start to have a, a real little production to really consume some, uh, some vegetables in your garden. In terms of fish, because we are in Australia, there are some fish. So the law is very specific in Australia because we are uh, an island and uh, the government is really trying to preserve the natural ecosystem. So there are some fish that you are not allowed to have because we are very scared that they, be, they would become invasive. You know, we had the problems with rabbits and then with foxes. So Australia learned it the hard way. You know, we made some mistakes to, in, to import some species that were not native. So yeah, we, we, there are some, 
species of fish that we can have. So, for instance, tilapia is not a species that is allowed in Australia, at least not in Victoria. And then also tilapia is a species that requires a very high temperature, not very high, but a tropical temperature into the water. So any temperature below 23 degrees is not adapted to tilapia. Where I live in winter, the temperature of the water decreased to 8 degrees Celsius, you know, so the fish wouldn't survive. So anyway, this is not a good option for us here, but tilapia, as you highlighted it before, is an excellent fish to have in aquaponics because it grows fast. The quality of the flesh is pretty good, you know, for a fish that it can uh, eat on a only vegetarian diet. So that's one of the big challenges we have in, uh, in aquaculture and in aquaponics is the fish food that we use for our fish. As you can understand, some of the fish that we grow, they, they are predators and uh, they need some fish food high in fish meal. And therefore, you use some fish that are caught in the ocean, you make some uh, fish meal, and then you're going to feed your fish in your pond with this fish meal. So it doesn't really make sense from, uh, you know, from a sustainable point of view, it doesn't work. So tilapia, from this perspective, is really good because you can feed it with vegetables. But in Australia, we have an alternative to this. We, we use a silver perch. So silver perch is a native fish uh, that we have here around. And, uh, and they, they, are, they are accepting uh, uh, vegetable-based uh, food. So it's an excellent fish to have. But it doesn't have the same growth of tilapia. You know, to have a, a silver perch that is plate size, you, you need at least three years, three to four years. While tilapia, you can reach uh, plate size uh, in a few months, you know. But uh, mm -hmm. an alternative, what I grow at the moment and uh, what I recommend my customer to grow, it's not the easiest fish to grow, but it's not that hard neither. It's uh, the trout. So trout, as I said before, is a very domesticated species. And we have the chance to have uh, some variety of trout that are uh, yellow. We call them golden trout, actually. They are actually, the species is rainbow trout. It's just one selection of the rainbow trout that has been selected for the color and become uh, yellow, completely yellow. So it's a beauty because when you put it into a pond, the pond generally, you know, we use the liner in the pond and the liner is, is dark, it's black. So when you have the yellow fish with the black background, it looks amazing. You really see the fish. Well, if you, if you grow fish, classic fish, you know, most of fish uh, that you can think of, they are brown in color. And if you have brown to gray fish on the black background, you don't really see them. So one of the aim of aquaponics is to produce food, but it's also to enhance the harmony of your backyard, you know, when you can. So if you can have fish that look yellow, where well, you can really see them, it, it's a big plus. So I really like working with trout. And then goldfish are also a good fish to grow. It's more for people who don't want to consume the fish. You know, if you are vegan, aquaponics is still an option because in aquaponics, we produce 10 times more vegetables, biomass, than we produce fish. So you are still able to have an aquaponic system at home with in a pond, you can put a few goldfish. They look very, very good. But in the same time, they're going to help the ecosystem to produce a lot of vegetables. So. Ecoflex, as I was saying, is uh, the wooden box uh, systems. They look very neat, very tidy, and you can put them even if you have a very small terrace. But then if you want to have something uh, that involves a bit more 
space in your backyard and, and where you really want to improve the design or the general look of your backyard, you have the option to create a pond, a natural pond, I mean, not a natural, but a natural, aesthetically speaking, pond in your backyard with some grow beds. And uh, what I am offering my customers now and what I am experimenting at, at large scale now, I mean, not large scale, but uh, significant scale is, uh, is, a, is an aquaponic system, which is a large pond where I can swim inside with the fish. So I, I'm sure uh, most of people who are listening, they heard about the biological swimming pool, you know, the natural swimming pools. The same principle now, we have a big pool with fish inside, but the water is clear. You can swim with the fish and all the water is going through some grow beds. So I got two grow beds. They look very natural with rocks and cascades that are falling back into the pond. And that's a shame that today it's just a podcast because I will be very, very happy to, to show you what it looks like, what I have in front of me. It's really harmonious, you know. You have this cascade, you have all the vegetables that are growing. It produces a lot of food. But in the same time, it's an area to relax. You can sit around the pond and you can even swim inside in, in summer. So I hope I respond to your question, uh, Scott. Well, you also remind me of the aesthetic beauty that can come out in designs that are oriented around the permaculture framework, that the functionality that we create can be something beautiful at the same time, that even though we may aim to replicate the functionality of nature, that we can still do it in a way that is still yeah. aesthetically pleasing for people. Yeah, and that's something that has been missing from aquaponics until today. You know, um, if you look online, what aquaponics is, if you Google aquaponics, you will find 90% of the time plastic setups that, that very often look very ugly because when we experiment and in aquaponics, there is a lot of experimentation involved. Uh, we always look for cheap solutions, uh, doing things quick to test the ecosystem. And to be very honest, I don't know if the ecosystem really care about uh, growing uh, on something that is ugly or harmonious. But for us, when we look at it, it makes a massive difference. And if you have in your backyard two plastic tubs, one on top of each other, it's going to look very ugly and it's probably going to really some if I can talk this way, some bad vibrations into uh, your backyard. And when you invite people, I don't know if you're going to be proud of or, or ashamed to have this in your backyard, something plastic with pipes everywhere. As you say, uh, when you work with the permaculture uh, principle to produce food, but also to enhance the harmony that you may have uh, in your backyard, then uh, you are super proud of what you are doing and uh, it's coming back to you. you know, it's... Uh, it's giving some really good vibrations. And also it's going to help uh, your family to, to take this on board because uh, very often I got people who come to me and they say, oh, I would love to have an aquaponic system, but my wife doesn't want to see plastic or anything like this. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I understand that, you know, while uh, my, my partner, she is not really that much into to having aquaponic systems or whatever. But when she sees what I am doing, then she's on board because... It looks really good. It brings life back into the backyard. You know, we have so much, so much life interactions now. It's not only the fish and the plants, but as I was saying before, we got a lot of insects. So dragonflies are, are flying above the, the pond. 
lot of uh, uh, birds are coming around. It's crazy the, the quantity of lives that is, it brings back, you know. So for me, it has always been a, a big point to uh, what, whenever I design an aquaponic system, the aesthetic is a big part. And uh, I think it comes, comes from my uh, first experience in, in landscaping where I was breeding an ornamental pond where there, the only aim was aesthetic. So obviously, I very soon understood that uh, with water, you can make some very nice water feature and uh, it doesn't cost more, you know. You, you just need to respect some uh, basic um, aesthetic principles to design something that is going to produce food but also look amazing. So it's a plus plus. It's a win-win, as we say. Well, and I appreciate you taking this time with me today to introduce aquaponics as something more than just growing food or a you know commercial monoculture. In the time that we have remaining, is there anything else that you'd like to share with the listeners? I would like to say that um, aquaponics, when we talk about aquaponics and aquariums and those type of things, some people are very scared. And as I said before, it can be challenging to to manage, uh, to balance uh, the different populations, to make sure that the water is uh, is okay. But the reality is that when you start aquaponics, if you look, more, a lot of, lot of people want to start on a low budget, which, has t- which I, I totally understand. But I would uh, advise anyone to stay away from the very small aquaponics systems that they, they offer online that are on plastic made and they are only 50 liters and they say that you can put it on your kitchen bench and it's going to produce some herbs for you. I have to say that this is not working. When the, the volume is too low, it's too small, it becomes extremely tricky to balance the ecosystem. So if I have one thing to say to uh, people who are listening to us is uh, please don't spend your money buying one of those things. Instead, get some tanks by yourself, but try to breed something that is uh, at least 500 liters of water altogether. That's going to be the, the bare minimum to have something that is pretty easy to balance. Otherwise, it's a real nightmare. And uh, nine times out of 10, your fish will not survive on a small system. So, you know, try to save money on not buying something new. Maybe try to recycle tanks. But... Uh, work with a, a minimum size system and uh, to help anyone who want to start aquaponics on the website aquaponics revolution because now my business is really trying to help people to have a revolution in their backyard and to uh, to help them to produce some food at home on this website i offer a free aquaponics training it's not a very comprehensive training where you got uh build 100% of the knowledge, but that's a free training to have the minimum of skills and knowledge to build an aquaponic system without making the big mistakes that will uh, fail your project. You know, there are some ratio to respect in aquaponics between volume of water and for your fish and the volume for your crowbeds. And those ratios, they are very critical. Also, the quantity of fish that you can have, the design of the setup, so that's very specific points. It's six points, actually, that I offer in this free training. And if you want to start aquaponics, I really recommend anyone to start with this free training because that's the base to have something that is going to work. 
and then from there you can all own your your, uh, your skills you can become better and build other things but I'm very sad to see so many people buying those uh, hundred dollars plastic plastic systems that are very very uh, unworkable and then they lose passion that's that's a big shame you can do something by yourself just get this free training you get the basics and understand the limits the ratio to respect and then you can build something by yourself in your backyard and you are ready to to produce some food by yourself with aquaponics well i thank you for that and opening up this world of aquaponics to us so that if anyone is interested they can go they can take your free training you know, troll Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace or wherever it is that they can search for used items and they're likely to be able to find some nice-sized aquariums and things on there to get themselves started. So thank you for starting this conversation on the Permaculture Podcast. Thank you, Scott. And that was Jonathan Martinetto. You can find his aquaponics works at melbourneaquaponics.com.au and his free online course at aquaponicsrevolution.com. As permaculture practitioners, we need to have as many tools as possible that are appropriate to our needs in our toolkit in order to find the right solutions. All the solutions to our problems are out there, but it's a matter of knowing about the options available in order to be able to implement them. So conversations like this with Jonathan to introduce aquaponics, or the recent episode with Matt Arthur to talk about Bokashi, expand on what we can bring to bear to solve our design, systemic, or community problems. With that need to know in mind, Are there any subjects that you would like to hear an introduction to in the future? If so, send me an email and let me know that topic and any people or resources I should consider. Show at thepermaculturepodcast.com To go along with this conversation with Jonathan about aquaponics, I have a bonus episode available for Patreon supporters to expand on the resources to get you started with aquaponics. If you sign up as a member for $5 or more per month, you'll get access to all the bonus episodes, early access to ad-free episodes, the monthly Ask Me Anything threads, and more. Find out more at patreon.com slash permaculturepodcast. Until the next time, spend each day building and restoring ecosystems while taking care of Earth, yourself, and each other.